Verse 13 of James 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. As you and I go through all the many activities of an ordinary day, we make so many, many spontaneous decisions. Most of them are not really life-changing decisions, but they are all important. They are all important in some way, and all of them do have consequences. And we often make them very quickly because the situation dictates that that be so. And it all happens so quickly and so ordinarily that we barely realize the effect of what we're actually doing. The reality is that we have conducted ourselves as if we are the sole author and the sole controller of our daily experience. And that kind of behavior is what God wants to warn us about in these words that we'll study here today. The warning is that these behaviors are a form of pride, a form of pride, the kind of pride that is clever, hiding itself within the dozens of miscellaneous decisions and activities that, that we make each day. And they become our normal behavior. And no, we don't recognize that it is really pride that's taking place because we don't mean to intentionally leave God out of our decision-making and our activities. We just get caught up in our plans and in the circumstances in front of us. The truth is, from our earliest ages, we live and we move and we have our being each day as if we really are the one who is in charge of our private world. That we, and our own free will, have power and have authority over everything that we think and say and do. And I marvel at our foolishness, especially my own. I've read and I've studied these scriptures for so many years now, and you would think that I would better understand the real truth about all the many things that take place each day. The truth that beneath the surface of daily life, God, our loving Father, is always at work guiding and directing all those many events that are taking place. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Now, yes, I do know that you and I really do have a will. And we do exercise our will. And we do all of those things that we do each day. But folks, the simple truth is, from these scriptures, they tell us that along with our will, there's also another will that's taking place. It's a mysterious guidance reaching in from the spiritual realms of God into our occurrences within our daily lives, causing things to take place in a form of concurrence. God's will and then our will coming together and somehow then becoming one. Our Westminster Confession of Faith describes it this way, and these are somewhat difficult words, but listen carefully. God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, 
nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Those second causes are yours and mine. Now simply put, these words are telling us that there really is a very intricately designed working relationship between the activities of God and the activities of man. It's a working relationship in which, yes, we make decisions and we carry them out all throughout the day. But within all that we do, God is also guiding our activities in a direction that he wants us to go. Recall the example I gave a moment ago about Joseph. Those men all did what they wanted to do during all of those different occurrences as the brothers mistreated Joseph and sold him out into slavery. But in all of it, it was God's hand guiding them to the day that he would be able to save his country, Israel. And that's what he did, and it says so in the book of Genesis. And so God is also guiding our activities, those activities that we think are all ours. He's guiding them in a direction that he wants us to go. And no, I don't really know how all that mystery takes place. But oh, how blessed it is when we give up and surrender our wretched will and join God in his will. Now, thinking back over my life, I confess that I have gone about most of my days saying and doing what I thought was my own plans. I didn't give much of a thought that God was even guiding what I was saying. Now, on those plans, sometimes I was successful with them, sometimes I wasn't, and I just accepted the results as being whatever they were. Thankfully, now, as I look back at some of those events, some of those decisions, and they might have seemed very inconsequential. But now I can see where God's hand reached in and guided the outcome of what I was planning and deciding. And folks, that is so whether or not we're talking about our private lives or we're talking about our business decisions. And that's what he gives us an example here in his scriptures. God's hand is at work in each one of those. Now, being a businessman most all of my working years, I was accustomed to forming plans for our business activities. We had tactical plans for short-term, and we had strategic plans for long-term. And my coworkers and I really tried to live by those plans. We'd make annual budgets and carry them out based on those plans. And we were always hopeful that nothing would be an obstacle to those plans coming into effect. This COVID-19 pandemic is one of the best examples of how we make our plans and how they can be changed. Businesses across our world made plans for 2020, but probably none of them worked out. If some did, only a few. Our family was going to take a trip with some other members of our family and some friends. We were going to go to Alaska on a cruise and we had actually paid money ahead for that. But God had other plans for this world that we hadn't counted on and all of those got canceled out. Sadly, though, listen, many of my Christian friends think very differently than I do on this question and very differently than what I believe these scriptures tell us about the making of decisions of our daily life, especially those folks who hold a strong belief about free will, their understanding of what free will is. We do have a will, and I know that, but to many of them, the occurrences and the outcomes of those daily activities 
are mostly random occurrences determined by some mystical form of chance or fate. Folks, the word chance doesn't have anybody behind it. It's just a measurement. But yet people will say, oh, I came to know the Lord just by chance or by fate. I, I don't agree with those two words in the way that they're used. Also, too often I've heard some of them say to the effect that I only consult God on the big things. I believe that He expects me to take care of all the smaller things. Have you ever heard anybody use some form of that expression? And then when they pray, they seem to pray mostly to ask God to rubber stamp the plans that they have already made. And again, I do confess to you that too often I am personally guilty of so many of those same behaviors. I like to make plans, and I do have my hopes and my dreams, and I want them to come true. And so I go about my day as if I were the real decision maker without consulting God until my plans are well on their way. Then I talk to Him. In making those wrong decisions that I would make, some of my friends would try to console me saying, oh, it's all right, that's what everybody does. Everybody does that. But folks, we know that just because that is the way that other people do things, it doesn't make it right, and it doesn't turn out right. God really wants you and me to talk to Him first before we do things. And not just the big things, but you and I have to prepare a day asking God to be in control of all that we'll think and say and do on that day. He gives us Proverbs 3. It's a verse that I'm sure each of you have quoted many times. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and then He will direct your path. You and I don't always know when He's directing our path, but it's because at the beginning of the day we gave it to Him. We didn't know what it was going to be, but we gave it to Him, and He guided our path. And that's when things really are successful. These words of this verse, they're so very important that we should trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not to our own understanding, and all our ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct our path. They're so very important. Believing in the Lord is what all of us Christians do. And we say that we do it. But this is so much more than just believing. This is trusting. This word trust means that we not only believe in Him, but that we are also depending upon Him to actually direct everything that we think and say and do. I don't want to say one thing from this pulpit that God doesn't want me to say. I don't want to give you my opinion about anything. I want him to direct the words that I say. Jeremiah, in arguing with God about being a prophet, God said, I'm going to call you as a prophet. And he said, oh, no, I'm too young, and I don't know what to say. And the Lord told Jeremiah, he said, well, I'll put my words in your mouth. And that's what he did. I expect the Lord to do that with me for each of these messages. And any time that I'm talking to you privately, any time that I am talking to my wife privately, I want and I expect Him to direct the things that I think and say and do. That's trusting in the Lord with all your heart and leaning not to your own understanding, but depending upon Him. And so we really ought to invite Him into our conversation about our hopes and about our dreams and our plans before, before we start to put those matters in motion. Trusting acknowledges that the Lord Jesus already has a plan 
And His plan is so much, much better than our own. And that our plan needs to join in with His plan, even forfeiting any part of our plan that we need to in order to make room for His plan. And we need to be able to do that on a moment's basis. But again, it's so easy for us in the rush of our day to become so distracted and to begin to behave as if we were the decision makers that counted. And it would seem that that's when the truth of this verse 16 rears its head. Verse 16 that we just read says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now I confess to you as I read these words that the word arrogance seems a bit harsh because in most of our minds we don't think of ourselves as being arrogant. We think that arrogance is an intentional, purposeful, offensive behavior. And yes, arrogance is often that way. But the question needs to be asked by each of us. Is this verse talking about me? Am I arrogant? Do I have arrogance quietly residing within my soul? I've concluded that for myself, it very well may be more often than I would think. Now, the dictionary describes arrogant people as being prideful, self-centered, conceited, egotistical, and boastful. And we've witnessed that manner of behavior in people. But arrogance is also a very clever form of sin that doesn't always present itself in those obvious behaviors. Arrogance can also be very subtle, almost imperceptible. Arrogance can manifest itself in a quiet, seemingly harmless way such that we might not recognize it, that it's being presented within our own souls and in the behaviors that we have. Recall that most all the words given in this book of James are addressed specifically to believers, believers like you and me. And here God is giving us a warning that to us as believers that yes, those of us who do earnestly believe in God and earnestly desire to be good Christians, that we can not only just stumble into arrogance, we can actually live out most all of our days bound up in subtle, arrogant behaviors. And may I counsel you and me that we are not usually the best source to ask this question about, am I arrogant? When it comes to criticisms of ourselves, we too often are not completely honest with ourselves. We have excuses that we make within our minds. And so if we are seriously seeking to know the truth about ourselves, the very best source to go to is to the one who knows us best, and that's God. That's God Himself. In Psalm 139, we're given the perfect prayer to ask such questions about ourselves. Listen to these words of Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And then in verse 23 of Psalm 139, he gives the prayer. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If we really want to know if arrogance abides within us, then God is the one that we need to ask for the answer. He knows us best. Now, let's look back at these words that we read at the beginning. Verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, 
We'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and we'll trade and we'll make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. To the average reader, plans such as this in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town. We'll spend a year there. We'll trade and we'll make a profit. These are very ordinary plans, especially if a person is involved in uh, fields such as sales. Salesmen and their sales organizations must of necessity continually be on the lookout for new markets for their products. And it's not a sin for us to make plans, even very detailed plans. Also, having been in a school environment most of my life, I'm reminded that every good teacher needs to make plans for their teaching schedules, planning for the subject matter that they'll teach in September and then in December, and then what they'll be teaching in March, and then in May. It's the right thing to do. Planning is the right thing to do, and it's very important that we should plan. God tells us to plan. The warning given here about how sinful behavior can creep into our planning process has not so much to do with the plans themselves, but with the presumption, the presumption that the times and the activities that we're planning are solely within our own hands and within our own control. That if we plan it well and we execute it well, our plan will turn out well. How many times have I heard a uh, leader of an organization say such words? If you plan it well and execute it well, it'll turn out well. But folks, that kind of thinking is a very special form of sin that these scriptures call presumptuous or the sin of presumption. A presumptuous spirit ignores, sometimes even denies that God is anywhere to be found, denies that he truly is sovereign, denies that he has plans and desires for the activities and the behaviors of our lives. And the very time that we begin to think and to say such things as today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit, that is a very subtle form of this sin of presumption. That's when presumption raises its head. Because again, presumption seems to believe that the events of this world truly are just random occurrences that perhaps we might, if we travel to Jackson or to some other town, that we might by chance get lucky and find our fortunes. Folks, there's no such thing as luck. We use that word all the time, but there's no such thing as luck. These scriptures tell us clearly that that's not the way that God operates and governs our world and the daily affairs of man. Not at all. God is sovereign. He doesn't just allow a bunch of maverick events to just take place and then him come running in with Romans 8, 28 and fix it for us. Try to work it all together for all the mistakes that we made in whatever it was we were doing. That's not the way God operates. He has a providential hand and it's ever and always involved in guiding and directing every activity that takes place. Yes, we have a will and we do exercise that will. But somehow, and again, I don't know how this works, but somehow he takes our will and his will 
and he meshes them together and they come out the way he wants it to take place. Folks, if in our heart and our mind we have not first brought God and his plans fully into our conversation, then we have probably crossed the line into this sin of presumption and arrogance, denying the sovereignty and the providence of God. I'm reminded of the parable that Jesus told in Luke 12 about this presumptuous farmer. There he said, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat drink and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then there's also another verse in Mark 8. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? Let's look again at these words of James chapter 4 here, verses 13 and 14. These two verses intentionally seem to be set at opposition with each other and so that you and I won't be confused as to what God wants us to understand about them. Listen, he says in verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and we'll spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Folks, God cannot be any more clear. We really do not know what tomorrow will bring. Our life really is like a mist, a vapor. And while we might think that we can catch life in our hands and control it, this comparison of our life to that of a vapor, it's fitting. It's so fitting. God's words are clear. The moment that we live each day and the, and the, the length of our days on this earth, no matter how long they might be, there's still only an evaporating mist as compared to eternity. And eternity is where God is. That's where He lives. And in these words, God is exhorting you and me to join with Him and have Him and His eternity always in view in every thought and every word and behavior of our day. And in everything we need to do as He exhorts us in Ecclesiastes 12, He tells us there, He says, that He will bring every act into judgment. Everything which is even hidden, whether it be good or evil, he'll bring into judgment. Again, as you and I make our plans, we really don't intentionally want to leave God out of our considerations. But please understand that by our presumptuous words and behaviors, we might as well have been intentional. If we live every moment by our own wits and by our own abilities, are we not doing the same thing as those who intentionally declare that they are the masters of their own destiny? If we look and act and behave like them, are we not one of them? You and I must begin today to change our behavior. Verse 17 tells us that whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, for her, it is sin. Let me say that again. He tells us that Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, for her, it is sin. You and I now know, we've read these scriptures today, and we now know these truths about asking God to guide us in all the plans that we make each day. 
And now as we rise up in the morning of each day, you and I must pray and ask God to help us and to guide us in all those things that we will be doing during that day. And we must say, Lord, I want to trust in you with all my heart and lean not to my own understanding, no matter how it may look. I don't want to lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways I want to acknowledge you so that you can direct my paths. Let's pray.